Ladies and gentlemen, kicking off the first stop on his world tour, our new president and prophet, Russell M. Nelson! You say you want some revelation, well, here you go. It's gonna blow your freaking mind. Hey, welcome back, brothers and sisters, to another episode of the Mormon News Roundup, where DBase and Al ruminate on the great and spacious beehive. So we are uh, here for a really exciting episode coming to you a little late this week. Uh, we've had a, a few problems get in the way, but um, I think we've got all that figured out. So um, we're going to go ahead and get um, this week's episode going. So this is our 20th episode for August 16th, 2022. And um, this week we're going to pay homage to the Mormon podcasting legend, Radio Free Mormon, who uh, was going to join us this week, but we had some problems, so he, he couldn't make it. But we uh, do hope to see him in the future. Um, a couple of the topics we're going over this week, fallout from the AP uh, report of the church sex abuse scandal. That's going uh, continuing on. It didn't get swept under the rug. There's a brief history of the sacred scriptural tweeting, um, as well as President Nelson is dedicating the Washington, D.C. temple and the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has decided to hire a new historian who's not a historian. He happens to be something else. So are you ready to go, DBase? I am thrilled to be here. It is an honor to be here now. <clears throat> um, are you recovering from your COVID? You're feeling better there, Al? Is that right? I, I'm feeling better now. I, I, it, it, although I got to say this COVID crap, it just keeps hanging on. It's, um, it's kind of hit me differently than I expected. And... At least it didn't hit me so hard that I died from it. Uh, you know, there's been plenty of people that suffered that. Um, but this one, it looks like I'm going to pull through and um, go on to give many more episodes of uh, reporting the Mormon Weekly News. Well, you know, there's an old saying, Al, when a heathen gets sick, that's God's punishment. But when a Christian gets better, that's a miracle. So I'm seeing that you're getting better. Is that right? I, I've heard that. Yeah, and I am. So I'm not well, sure if this is a miracle or. If... <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I like to think on the bright side. We'll just put it that way. Exactly. Okay. So we'll just yeah. uh, we'll, we'll chalk that up to um, may, maybe I'm uh, being punished by God, but then he's letting the rain fall on the just and the unjust as well. Wow. Okay. Well, we'll have to save this. Uh, we'll have to save the sifting of the wheat and the tares for another time, I guess. Fair enough. At least not this time. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. <laughs> now we wanted to get, as you mentioned, Radio Free Mormon on the program yeah. this week. His computer uh, crashed. He had a friend who mm -hmm. died. He also had a medical issue. Just, yeah. <clears throat> excuse me, it wasn't his time to get on. And mm -hmm. obviously, Radio Free Mormon needs absolutely no introduction when it comes to the Mormon podcasting world, especially to his ex-wife's lawyers. That's right. So. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> now, he's done, <laughs> now, he's done more save John DeLynn only for the Mormon podcasting world than any other man that ever lived. Would you agree with that? I'm pretty sure that's a direct quote, too. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> for sure. Now, I, when you, we were trying to get him on the podcast this week. It didn't work out, but he is tougher to nail down than a thief on a cross. You know that, Al? Mm -hmm. <laughs> I like that now, reference. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I... I was sorry. I, I've been feeling like Martin Harris in the lost 116 pages of the Book of Mormon. I mean, I asked the RFM, mm -hmm. I said, hey, will you come on the podcast? He goes, no. Waited mm -hmm. a couple of weeks. Will you come on the podcast? Heck no. Mm -hmm. Waited a couple more weeks. Will you come on the podcast? Sir, this is a Wendy's? 
Yeah, you've got a little obsession obsession going on there, D-Base. Yeah. Well, he's honestly, <laughs> honestly, we're paying homage to him. He is a, a personal hero of mine. It was an honor to uh, just be able to uh, think about him coming on the podcast. Hopefully he will again another time. But, you yeah. know, I, I, it just brings me back. Remember, Joseph Smith, it took him several tries to obtain the sacred golden plates. Sure so did. I wasn't about to give up on my righteous goal, Al. That being said, though, I do draw the line at exhuming a dead body to secure a guest for this podcast. Hashtag Alvin for the win. That's right. So, yeah, rest in peace, Alvin Smith. Uh, you never did get to go get the plates. No, you know, if I was <laughs> half the man Alvin was, this podcast would probably uh, already have 100,000 subscribers. Probably so. You know, uh, <laughs> based maybe. on what the, but based on the, <laughs> the legend of Alvin, I'll tell you what, he's got uh, he's uh, got some tall shoes to fill. And in fact, Alvin is in the Celestial Kingdom as we speak. That's right. Yeah. You know, every family's got the favorite child and Alvin happened to be it. Yeah, that's true. Uh, you know, I, I, uh, when it comes to uh, determination, I never let go of the iron rod. As Elder Holland might say, I don't have a patty cake, taffy pulled mindset. No, sir. No, <laughs> no sir. You, you no are way. no dodo. No, absolutely not. And that's why I kept texting RFM over and over again. I, he, he was a little annoyed, but he took it in. He took it in good stride. In fact, I text this is what I texted him. Now, let me read this text to you that I sent to him. I said, quote, I don't want the same thing that happened to Martin Harris to happen to you, RFM. I remember after Martin Harris abandoned the one true church, he aimlessly wandered the lone and dreary world without purpose and died penniless, cold, and alone. But take heart. Coming onto the Mormon News Roundup on August 14th could prevent that from happening to you. And That's quote. right. And maybe someday the city of Clarkson will start up a pageant to honor RFM. Yeah, <laughs> that could be a might be a long shot there, but yeah. Well, I guess the church did away with pageants, so but then well, again, <laughs> you know they kind of did, but actually the uh, the Mesa pageant they retired it for a couple mm -hmm. of years, Al, and they yeah. actually this last time they did, uh, I believe, I'm almost certain. Oh, the did Mesa they revive pageant, it? Yeah, but they're, they're running the Mesa pageant. Uh, uh, this time, I'm going to, I want to say Mesa Pageant 2022. I'm just looking this up on the fly here, but Mesa Pageant Easter, yeah, returns in April 2022. So most of the other pageants, the Manti Pageant and the Palmyra, the Hill Camorra mm -hmm. Pageant were retired, but the Mesa yeah. Easter Pageant did return in 2022. Well, I'll be. Yeah. Now, it now, seemed for a while there, just about any uh, church center was trying to start up a pageant anywhere that they could. Yeah, that's true. And I don't know if Clarkson is going to run a, a pageant for RFM, considering that he lives out on the uh, West Coast. It, you know, have you ever uh, driven through the, the Clarkson Cemetery where they do the um, the, the Martin Harris pageant? No. That They've invested some infrastructure there. They've got this huge, like, uh, amphitheater. They've got the lighting uh, thing all set up there. They've got, like, you know, th that uh, cemetery is a very unique cemetery to go visit. I'll tell you that for sure. That's definitely on my bucket list, and and that doesn't surprise me because remember Martin Harris. This the, there would be no Book of Mormon without Martin Harris. You got that right. Period. Mm -hmm. He gave Joseph Smith the fifty dollars to be able to just have life expenses before the Book of Mormon uh, was around when Joseph was still translating the Book of Mormon. And then he mortgaged his farm, and according to some sources, I was actually just reading this today. Mm -hmm. His farm mortgage. He he inherited a lot of that farm, but he had a massive farm, and it was in mm -hmm. excess of a million dollars in today's money. It was a huge, huge deal. He was one of the mm -hmm. largest landowners in the area. So yeah, no Martin Harris, no Book of Mormon. Period. That, for sure. Yeah, and of course, uh, I mean, I can't guarantee that if uh, RFM comes on the program, that he won't die uh, penniless, cold, and alone. I, I'm no guarantees. I mean, a wise man once said that you can crap in a box and it right guaranteed on it, right, Al? 
Yeah, well, if you consider Tommy Boy to be a, a wise man, okay, yeah. I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not sure if Chris Farley counts as a wise man. Is that mm-hmm. what you're saying? Exactly. Yeah, I may, maybe maybe not, maybe not. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, after, it reminds me, after leaving the church, Oliver Cowdery, he also died of tuberculosis. Mm-hmm. Now that I'm thinking about it, Al, ah. he never came on the Mormon News Roundup either. Yeah, so, I mean, really, we're just trying to preserve uh, RFM's life by providing them the opportunity that Oliver Cowdery never had. And and Martin Harris. I mean, and I'm Martin starting Harris. to detect yeah. a pattern, and we, yeah. we, we care about RFM, so we, we do want him to come on to the broadcast. Uh, you know, uh, but he's still he was still pretty equivocal about it, which is why I decided that uh, I wanted to up the ante a little I, by quoting the Bible to him. I know he's a big Bible guy. And Al, I know that you never go anywhere without your Bible. So can Got you? Uh, right. Yeah, absolutely. Revelations three fifteen through 16. This is what I sent to RFM. Ah, okay. Well, I will give you the King James Version. Okay. Um, <laughs> I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. Didn't realize that wert is a word, but hey, it works. Uh, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. Right. I sent that to RFM. I asked him if his bosom was feeling, uh, I asked him how his bosom felt after he read that mm-hmm. scripture. Yeah. And whether he had a stupor or thought. It's, you know, I guess it's a one or the other thing, right? Or, yeah, I'm not it, sure. It, it's, a, it's a weird thing, this whole answer to prayer thing, because, I mean, either you get heartburn or you feel stupid. Is that what pretty much the, the two options? Not really sure, but RFM said he didn't really feel either one of them. He just said he didn't want to be spewed. If he had to be spewed out, he said he didn't want to be spewed very far. Okay. And that's understandable. Yeah. Uh, Maybe maybe he felt a little nauseous. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe so. Now, I fasted and prayed about uh, RFM getting on the program, and I felt the distinct impression. I mean, Al, one might even say a still small voice that I needed to quote modern prophets, seers, and revelators, specifically Bishop H. David Burton, the presiding bishopric. And I'm sure that every listener easily recalls his eminent and acclaimed 2001 general conference talk entitled Standing Tall. I mean, who could possibly forget that hackneyed talk? True. Yeah. This is the fence sitter talk, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, it is. I've got the quote right here. It's, uh, yeah. This is a very famous quote here. It's, uh, quote, it is said that a fence sitter eventually has to come down on one side or the other. If we are sitting on the top of life's fences, now is the time to muster the courage to stand tall on the side of righteousness and shun the shackles of sin and commit to a date to be on the Mormon News Roundup. Mm-hmm. That's right. So uh, Radio Free Mormon, we do expect to uh, get a uh, firm commitment at some point in the future. Now, that's truly for our day, isn't yes, it? Yes, it is. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, H. David Burton, and, you know, this was 20 years uh, prior to now. He knew exactly what, that's very prophetic. Yeah, <laughs> without <laughs> question. Mm-hmm. Now, I, after that quote, uh, I'll, I had in my notes to pause for loud laughter, but that would be a sin, so uh, we better keep it moving, right? Okay, yeah. Yeah, I mean, but that still didn't have him convinced. You, you would think, I mean, how much uh, how much uh, persuasion is necessary? But I'm going to tell you, I needed to get a little bit firmer. So I mm-hmm. pulled out the world-renowned LDS missionary commitment pattern. What is oh that? Oh, my goodness. What so is you, that, Al? You built a relationship of trust with him and then culminated in asking him a direct will you question? You know your stuff. You know your stuff. And obviously, we know that that is, liter- that is something that literally never faileth, right? That's true. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but uh, uh, so... That didn't really work either. I'm pulling out all the, all the stops here. So I sent him, uh, for those who refused to come on the podcast, I sent him a YouTube link to the uh, the second Matrix movie. In the second Matrix movie, uh, Trinity and Neo go into the basement 
and they have all those guns and they shoot everybody up. And that's why I said, if you refuse to come on the podcast, we don't want this to happen to you. That's right. Now, some would say that I'm taking things a little too far, but you know, you remember Sidney Rigdon's salt sermon? Uh, yeah, uh, that was uh, trying to get rid of the uh, the apostates and the Missourians, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> and some people thought that he went too far, but, you know, sometimes, you know, it's, isn't the Doctrine and Covenant says sometimes we need to rebuke be times with sharpness and afterwards turn up the guilt? Is that the yeah. saying? I think so. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's, <laughs> the truth shall set you free, right? Yeah. It seems like it works. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, once, once RFM comes onto the program, we will be eternally blessed and grateful, especially since we wouldn't have to put a javelin through them, right? Yeah. That's right. I this mean, will always be so. Absolutely. Brigham Young said that, absolutely. <laughs> now, now we, all, we all know without a shadow of a doubt that the church has absolutely no paid ministry, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. But I think our listeners need to uh, deserve to know how much is the uh, basic retainer fee for a Seedlips podcast appearance by RFM. I think that they should. I think that should be public knowledge. I think so. Uh, instead of a salary, uh, let's just call it a modest living allowance. Okay. Yeah. That sounds a lot better. Yeah. yeah it, does. It, it does sound a lot better that way. Mm -hmm. Now I'm going to tell you getting RFM's phone number. That was harder than Indiana Jones finding the Holy Grail. Oh, really? I mean, you got yeah. his phone number. Yeah, I did. I did. Now RFM mm -hmm. actually made me covenant before God, angels, and these witnesses that I would never reveal his phone number. And I still don't know why that was necessary, but luckily since we're post 1990, there were no penalties involved. Hashtag give thanks. That's right. Uh, President Nelson's favorite hashtag. Yeah, and I use that, uh, you know, and I, uh, you know, the other thing, you're not going to believe this, Al, but on RFM, he, you know, he's a lawyer. His law firm sent me on his official letterhead. He forced me to sign and notarize the following statement. I, D-Base, solemnly swear to never reveal RFM's phone number, nor his accompanying real name, nor auction them immediately on Reddit to the highest bidder. Mm -hmm. That's right. I mean, talk about humiliating. Yeah, I'll say. Um, yeah, I mean. I did. I, I faxed that over to him, but uh, when he wanted us to uh, sign those NDAs, um, we yeah. have our standards, right? Exactly. I mean, we. It would be nice if we could uh, promise to not disclose. But when it comes to journalism, I've, all bets are off. Everything's on the table. If it's news, we will report it. Yeah, yeah. yeah the we we the, the Mormon news roundup will not be stifled, right? Yeah, exactly. So even if we signed the NDAs, we would then inevitably be fined for breaking. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Now, I, this also reminds me of Matthew chapter 22. This is the mm -hmm. uh, parable of the wedding banquet, which is kind of an obscure wedding, uh, kind of an mm -hmm. obscure parable here by that Jesus gave. Yeah. And from the uh, New International Version, uh, mm -hmm. Jesus spoke to them again in parables, saying, let me quote from uh, starting in verse one, the kingdom of heaven is like to a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. The king was enraged. Then he said, the wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. Many are invited, but few are chosen. What's your interpretation of this parable here, uh, Al? I, I think we've uh, thrown a lot of invitations out there, and um, we might just end up being like uh, really ticked off kings. Um <laughs> When, when RFM doesn't come on the podcast, but, uh, you know, that invitation is still out there. Hey, you've been called and chosen. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if his calling and election has made, been made sure. And, uh, you know, if he's had a second anointing, uh, if that affects his decision to want to come on the podcast, mm -hmm. but he's welcome to either way, right? Certainly. Yep. Yeah. One way or another. 
Yeah. Now, his computer malfunction, it kind of reminds me of the malevolent spirit that attempted to interrupt Joseph Smith's first vision. I mean, Satan has obviously been doing this on this and other podcasts, but I can tell you, no unhallowed hand can stop this podcast from progressing, right, Al? That's right. That's straight from the mouth of Joseph Smith. You got it. Now, uh, we do have some follow-ups from last week here, so I hate to bring this up here, uh, okay. Al, but LDS General Authority and Council and the Young Men's President, Brad Wilcox, mm -hmm. he's back in the spotlight for all the wrong reasons. Uh -oh. He's wading into the Associated Press church abuse scandal. This is not going to end well, right? What do you do now? Yeah, did you saw they say now he's quoted in the Salt Lake Tribune just this morning. Uh, let me find mm -hmm. this incredible quote here. Okay, okay, here we go. Article by Peggy Fletcher Stack. Uh, today, uh, we read the following quote in surprisingly candid remarks. Brother Wilcox is on record as saying, quote, maybe we're asking the wrong question. Maybe instead of saying, why is the church hiding child sexual abuse? Maybe what we should be asking is, why did the whites and other races in the story not pay more tithing? That's right. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good question. Oh, Brother Wilcox, you will always be funny for that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that, is, that really makes you think, though, doesn't uh -huh. it, Al? Oh, it does for sure. Yeah, um, I mean, that's what I, that's what he's always asking the hard-hitting, thought-provoking questions. Uh, what I love most about him is that he asks the questions that anti-Mormon critics, they just can't handle. Yeah, because, I mean, this is the kind of questions that we couldn't pay people to ask these kinds of questions. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and if you read the CES letter, is that question mm -hmm. in there, Al? Oh, no, Jeremy Reynolds did not have the foresight to put that question in there. No, and he can't answer that question. That's the, I mean, that's that's a very good question. Yeah. How come the people in the story did not pay more tithing? That's what it really mm -hmm. makes you think. Or now, Jeremy. obviously, Al, that is the Mormon mm -hmm. joke of the week. Uh, that's just uh, that's, <laughs> yes, it was. <laughs> now it it takes a professional or maybe mm -hmm. somebody slightly deranged to combine Mormonism, humor, and child sex abuse. Mm -hmm. But if that's what you're looking for, yeah, that's why we're here for you guys. Yeah, I, you thank, come to thank the right you for place. tuning in. Yeah, you come to the right <laughs> podcast if that's what you want. Is Mormonism, humor, and child sex abuse? That's a that's that. It's all it's all here. Yep, we're all here. Mm -hmm. Now we were going to issue a challenge. If our, we're going to issue a challenge for when RFM comes onto the pro program, which we assume that he will do in the future, knowing that he doesn't want any javelins headed his way, right? I mean, right. Mm -hmm. We assume that he's going to want to come on. So, yeah. If at any time, this is the challenge for our listeners for when he does come on. If at any time RFM mentions that he was a dance major or utters the word Texas. Everyone will donate $100 on their next tithing slip to the new church tithing category. Oh, uh, what's that name? We covered this a couple of weeks ago. You remember those new tithing categories, Al? Okay, so I, I remember that the church did the new one, uh, the general category, but I think you're referring to the other one that just recently was uh, formed uh, on the yeah. tithing slip. The Enzyme Peak, Second Coming, War Chest, Rainy Day, Just In Case, Sacred, Not Secret Fund. Yeah, that's a good memory, Al. Yeah, that's yeah. right. <laughs> the Enzyme Peak Second Coming War Chest Rainy Day Just In mm -hmm. Case Sacred Not Secret Fund. That's a good tithing category, Al. That's right. <laughs> yeah. And so when he does come on, if he, if, he, if he mentions Texas or dance, then we're all going to need to donate to that category. It just makes things real simple. It goes straight yeah. to Enzyme Peak. Do not, Pasco, do not collect $200. Just mm -hmm. right in the investment book. That's right. Now, you know, the more that I think about Enzyme Peak, though, Al, it's kind of like, you know, some people think that Enzyme Peak is a Ponzi scheme. Have you heard that before? Yeah, I've heard it accused of being a Ponzi scheme. Um, not sure how much I would agree with that. Yeah, okay. I mean, the more that I think about it, the more I think of it as kind of like an anti-Ponzi scheme because mm -hmm. there's incredibly solid investment rates going in. There's mm -hmm. uh, 
but there's miserable re- return rates coming out. Nothing it, ever comes out. It, exactly. I mean, you don't start uh, withdrawing from that or getting any dividends from that until you're at least a 70, right? Yeah, yeah basically. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, as far as getting your, your investment returned um, and, and uh, the people that are buying into this scheme, they're not expecting to get that back either. So, no, and the people who have tried to try to get their money back, the vast, mm-hmm. vast majority of them never get it back. As we've seen the John yeah. Huntsman lawsuit, once mm-hmm. it goes in, it ain't coming back out, baby. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, we had some follow-ups from last week. We had John Ogden from UpliftKids.org mm-hmm. on the program last week, and we talked about how the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints actually deleted tweets concerning the AP sexual abuse scandal. But uh, mm-hmm. through your dedicated journalism, Al, we found those tweets, which we're going to cover in a moment, right? Mm-hmm. Hashtag teaser. Yes, we did. Yes, we're, we're going to cover those. A little teaser here for you. Now, people on Facebook are saying there's a lot of hypocrisy here because no one in the sacred scriptures tweeted or deleted tweets, right? Mm, or did they? Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. We mm-hmm. do have some tweets. <laughs> we, we talked about this. We do have some tweets in the Holy Scripture. So let's uh, start in the Old Testament. Where? What's the first divine tweet, Al? Um, well, let's see. If we go all the way back to Exodus, then we see God writing the Ten Commandments, right? Absolutely. Okay, so I would I would consider that to be a tweet because it's each. If you take each commandment, uh, you know, verse by verse, you're less than 140 characters per commandment. So yeah, I think it fits. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was written by God's finger. So move over, Jack Dorsey. Exodus chapter 20 is the first. Uh, is the first tweet. I mean, it's re- mm-hmm. they were revealed to Moses at Mount Sinai, scribed by the finger of God on two tablets of stone, and then kept in the Ark of the Covenant. And mm-hmm. don't look in that Ark, right, Al? We obviously right. know that. Yeah, we we learned that in Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah, we learned that we learned that a valuable lesson. But there's also another tweet in the Old Testament, and it's about Belshazzar's feast, also known as the story of the writing on the wall in chapter five of the Book of Daniel. Now, you familiar yeah. with that one, Al? Yes, I am. This is the one where uh, they're having a party and all of a sudden a disembodied uh, hand appears and uh, it writes uh, some words on the wall. I can't remember what the words are, but yeah. Yeah, uh, that's good. Yeah, for, uh, it foretold the uh, upcoming Babylonian Empire and, and uh, that was going to fall and the Persians were going to take over that very night. Now, those words that were written on the wall are Mene, Mene, Tekel, Parson, which is conveniently under 140 characters, right? It sure is. You know what? Now that I'm thinking about it, I think that's my brother-in-law's new temple name, Mene Mene mm-hmm. Tekel Parson. So, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think I was supposed <laughs> to say that. So, we we may need to edit that out. I don't know. All I right. didn't get his I didn't get his permission to reveal that name. Uh, but oh, then let's keep on going. So God does tweet, but apparently in a very cryptic fashion. I mean, what a bummer! Imagine getting a divine tweet directly from the Almighty, but not mm-hmm. knowing what it said. Oh, and just as soon as someone explains the message to you. You get murdered that very night. Hashtag karma. Yeah, that that's no ruin your whole weekend. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah absolutely. What about uh, the New Testament? Did Jesus tweet out? Oh, I'm sure that if we look into the New Testament, we can find some examples of uh, Jesus. Uh, okay, yeah, uh, the the woman taken in adultery. Right. Yeah. If listeners, if you will please turn with us in your well annotated quads to John chapter eight verses six through eight. You have the story of the woman taking adultery. What happened in that story, Al? Okay, so uh, they bring her 
and they bring before Jesus the woman that's been taken in adultery. And what Jesus does is he stoops down, writes in the with his finger on the ground, and uh, then uh, tells him, "Hey, uh, who he of you that uh, is without sin, let him cast the first stone at her." Right. Yeah. Yeah. Let's go ahead and read. Would you read that from John chapter eight, verses six through eight? Yeah, certainly. Um, This they said, tempting him that they might have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as though he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto them, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Very nice. Now, so this is basically Jesus tweeting twice, right? From my readings. Does that, does that we, make sense? We can assume so. We don't know how many characters he wrote, but um, I, I would call it the same as a tweet. Okay. Yeah, basically. I mean, well, you have what would Jesus do? Well, forget that. How about what would Jesus tweet? And this all makes perfect sense if you compare it with John chapter 5, verse 19, which says the son can do nothing but himself. He can only do that which he sees the father doing, because whatever the father does, the son does also. I mean, think back to Daniel chapter 5. That's right. Yeah. So uh, Jesus would be following the example that he saw the father when the father wrote on uh, the the king's wall there. And uh, yeah, then Jesus was just doing the same thing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. He stooped down yeah, he stood down twice to write, and I'm thinking the first time it was it was a tweet, and maybe the second time was a retweet. That's okay, what I'm could guessing be. here. Yeah, you know that, that, and I prayed about that out using Moroni's promise, and I feel, I mean, scratch that, I know that it is true. <laughs> no, just kidding, I'm kidding, <laughs> okay. just joking, just joking. Seriously though, uh-huh. I did look this up, and most New Testament scholars believe that if you study the chapter eight of the Gospel of John in the earliest extant Aramaic manuscripts that Jesus was actually using Snapchat. You know, that's why the writing disappeared oh. the first time. He had to write right. it again, you know, Snapchat. You know? Yeah, it deletes after 10 seconds. Is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah, I may need some younger co-hosts yeah, I, I know. I'm so out of touch with the uh, kids are in these days. <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah. But obviously, Al, we know the Bible. It's only to be trusted as far as it is translated correctly, right? That's right, yeah. And uh, don't trust anybody over 30. <laughs> yeah, so let's move over the most correct uh, to the most correct of any book on earth. And That's the right. Book of Mormon, it also contains an ancient tweet. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. So the, remember the story of Amenadi, not uh, not with a B, but with an M, Amenadi and the writing of the wall in the temple. So during the speech oh. to the people of Ammonihah, Amulek states that Amenadi was known as a prophet that had, quote, interpreted the writing which was upon the wall of the temple, which was written by the finger of God, end quote. Now, this, Al, this really makes me wonder where the inspiration for this story could have possibly come from. Yeah, uh, that's, uh, you know, could that, I, I don't know, could, it's not like that uh, exact same story is uh, located in the book of Daniel, right? I mean, I mean, how could Joseph Smith have possibly known? I mean, talk about yeah. a bullseye, hashtag mm-hmm. evidence. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, remind, it reminds me of that famous scripture, in a mouth of two witnesses, in the mouth of two witnesses shall every tweet be established. So you have the tweet of the old, so the Book of Mormon is really another uh, testament of uh, of Jesus' tweets, you know? Yeah, So right. So again, again, though, in the Book of Mormon, God's tweeting in a foreign language once again. Now, this is some advanced conjecture here, Al, but I'm guessing that this tweet was probably written in Reformed Egyptian. That stands to reason. I mean, Reformed Egyptian is the uh, religious language that they were using to engrave the plates, right? So Yeah. Sure. 
So he must have been doing that again, reformed Egyptian again. I mean, story checks out. By the way, I'm planning on submitting that theory to the next Sunstone Symposium. I mean, this is some really deep stuff here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah it's, I, it's deep. <laughs> it's, it's, it's full of something. Now, it is definitely full of something. Mm-hmm. Now, but after the sacred writing in the Book of Mormon on the wall was interpreted, sadly, apparently not worth writing down. I mean, one would think that whatever the creator of the universe personally wrote on the wall just might be important enough to preserve for posterity. I mean, but yeah. you got to save space on those pesky gold plates for yet another Captain Moroni-inspired bloody genocidal rampage. Am I right? Exactly, right? Uh, you know, that is kind of the, the problem there because with the, the large plates being the historical record and the small plates that the most of the bulk of the Book of Mormon comes from is supposed to be the spiritual and the religious record, right? But um, yeah, hey, we got to... We've got plenty of battles that we need to hear about, right? Yeah, I mean, Captain Moroni digging the trenches, check. Captain Moroni mm-hmm. cutting the timbers, check. Mm-hmm. Captain Moroni slaughtering half-naked Lamanite savages left, right, and center, check, check, check. Mm-hmm. The figure of Almighty God, Lord of the universe, he- creator of heavens and earth, personally inscribes an important message on the wall of a sacred temple. Mm-hmm. Nah. And, and th- that... that- that uh, message gets interpreted by Amenadi, and they don't tell us what that message is. Right. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. so the God, of, yeah, you're right. God create the creator of all universe comes and personally writes on the wall of the temple, really important message. Um, or maybe it wasn't really important. Maybe he was, uh, maybe he just wanted us to make sure that we were cha- uh, pronouncing something properly or changing the name of something. Or, or maybe, yeah. maybe the, the message was, that we needed to pay more tithing. Gosh. Okay, yeah. good. I'm not sure. I'm not. Or, or yeah. maybe, or maybe the message was Pele Ale. Who knows okay. what the message? I'm going to do a little bit more research into this, Al. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure it was in Reformed Egyptian. I'm uh-huh. going to see if I can get to the bottom of this. Okay. All right. Okay. I'd be really curious to see what that message actually said. Yeah, Yeah, I definitely am, too. Um, So, I mean, but in summary here, to summarize all of this, where are we going with this? That's a good question. Um, The modern LDS's church's PR department, the public relations, the tweets, the Facebook posts, the Instagram posts, they have a solid scriptural foundation, including the deleting of tweets, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. So hopefully this extended exegesis can shut down all these church-hating naysayers, right, Mm -hmm. Al? That's right. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. But unlike Russia trying to find Hillary Clinton's missing 30,000 emails, you actually did find the church's missing sex abuse scandal tweets, didn't you, Al? We sure did. Yeah, okay. So what's going on there? All right. So um, this is a great point for us to jump into our first article, I think. Uh, And this one comes from Axios.com, where we've got the church has decided to issue a very vague rebuttal on the sex abuse hotline. Um, And by vague, I mean that they don't really talk about it at all. Um, They just say, well, the Associated Press, um, they misinterpreted it or they uh, seriously mischaracterized what what this is about and what our protocols are for reporting child sex abuse. But um, they don't ever say specifically what the Associated Press got wrong. They, they keep saying that, well, yeah, we, we have a helpline and it's there to, you know, uh, give the bishops instructions on how to handle uh, reported child sex abuse. Um, but the um, Associated Press has just uh, grossly mischaracterized that they, they don't know what they're talking about. And we, that we've got this all under control, uh, but they don't say what they really have 
or or where the Associated Press got it wrong. So um, I'm not exactly sure what to what to think of this with uh, with regards to that because I mean the Associated Press they went over thirteen thousand items or different documents um, in order to come up with this whole case and this whole report that they made. So I, the Associated Press, they're not really the ones to mischaracterize or to misunderstand or misinterpret things. Yeah, so, I mean, yeah. look, okay, a couple things. That's a that's good. nice job on that. First mm-hmm. of all, it, I, I bet you a dollar for a donut that the Associated Press, before they ran this story, went to the church and was ready to take the church's comments on this. I'm sure they did, yeah. And when you read the Associated Press, there, there's, not, there's nothing in there from the church uh, whatsoever. Why would the Associated Press run a huge national bombshell accusational controversial mm-hmm. article and not reach out to the church for comment. Yeah, exactly. And especially when the church, um, especially the way the church handles these things, the church always says, Oh, we have no comment at this time. The church representative never uh, says, okay, yeah, we'll, we'll engage in a discussion with you. We'll explain what's going on. Uh, the church tends to favor taking the stance of, uh, doing damage control after the fact rather than actually addressing it at the time. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, the church, according to this article, the church repeatedly posted and deleted statement deleted its statement on Twitter yeah. that, quote, abuse of a child or any other individual is inexcusable. So the first the mm-hmm. church first tweeted the entire statement, but mm-hmm. then eventually blocked the replies. Yeah. And then the church deleted and reposted that first tweet with replies blocked and shared the rest of the thread under it, which opened the original post to mm-hmm. a bunch of comments and reopened it back up. Then it deleted all the tweets in the AP article and reposted its entire statements with the replies blocked. They kept going back and forth and back yeah. and forth. Mm-hmm. Well, And I think the reason why is because the church is not uh, getting a lot of support here. Um, it's getting plenty of support uh, from members who have no idea what is going on. Uh, on different forums such as Facebook. But when it comes to Twitter, it seems like the church doesn't have nearly as many supporters on Twitter. Um, but they just got bombarded with all kinds of people telling them, um, yeah, you guys are full of it. This is, uh, yeah, we all know what's going on here. And uh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, our hearts are just breaking for everybody who is associated with this article, obviously. This is mm-hmm. a, a terrible tragedy. Yeah. And finally, uh, the, the church took a, I believe it was a nine-day break on Instagram, or it might have been an 11-day break on Instagram. Yeah, I'm not they, really sure. They took a lot of time. They took a hiatus, for sure. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they took a hiatus and didn't tweet anything out. Mm-hmm. And then as soon as uh, President Nelson, he did finally re, uh, start back up his Twitter again. Mm-hmm. And um, his his first tweet, what what it was his first tweet after this incredible bombshell sexual abuse scandal what was his first tweet about uh, after the the, the period of the cooling off period? Yeah, following the example of Brad Wilcox, um, President Nelson decided that hey, this is a great opportunity for us to um, deflect and distract. So we're going to rather than address the six hundred pound gorilla in the room, we're going to deflect and distract by saying, hey, you know, recently. I invited you to take charge of your own testimony. Please share with me what steps you're taking to accomplish this. I can't wait to be inspired by you. So he said, how are you taking charge of your testimony? That's his first tweet after this whole thing. And the responses are rather amusing. 
<laughs> you know, in some ways they are amusing, but in some ways it's really sad because, you yeah. know, uh, you look, you're the CEO. Uh, you're essentially the CEO. You're, it's a corporation mm -hmm. sold. You're at the yeah. top. There is no board of directors mm -hmm. of a $250 billion company that has, uh, yeah. you know, almost 20 million people in it. Yeah. I, how hard is it to just say, you know, I could write this. I could write this tweet. It's not that hard. Our hearts mm -hmm. break for those who are involved. I personally opening an investigation and I'm appointing uh, one mm -hmm. of the apostles to head this up. We're going to solve this problem. We're going to fix it. We're going to shine a light on it. Mm -hmm. If there's issues with the helpline or with Bishop's training, we're going to strengthen that. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm not going to rest until all of the we're, we're uh, until all of this abuse is put to an end. It's not yeah. that hard. I just literally mm -hmm. came up with that on the fly. And, you know, that that approach has worked very well for the Catholic Church. The Pope uh, went to uh, Canada and uh, issued a, a very uh, sincere, heartfelt apology for what was hap what was done in Catholic schools to the indigenous children. So, we, you know, and the, the Catholic Church is going to survive that because they're they're smart enough to understand that people value apologies. Yeah. You know, and there's another article that was uh, run, uh, and uh, the, the title of the article is Mormon Church Sets Up Phony Tip Line for Sex Abuse Victims. That's how this is being portrayed. Yeah. The tip line is actually phony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and, and that's what it is. Is like they, The way that this came out is that, oh, well, this was supposed to be a, a, a reporting hotline, uh, but what, the, what people don't seem to understand is it wasn't phony it was set up this way uh where the hotline goes directly to the church's um you know uh what uh, legal arm Kurt no well, first yeah. first it goes to the risk management department so yeah. this line goes mm -hmm. to the risk management department and then the worker the church entry-level worker then mm -hmm. decides if it is a uh, high enough uh importance to then get moved on to curtin mcconkey the church's yeah. law firm exactly yeah so um, the the way it's set up, it's not like they're saying, "Oh, well, you know, this is this is um, you know, in what disingenuous," but it's uh, it's set up the way it's supposed to work. It's the and it, the way it's supposed to work is is assess the the damage that could be done to the church by reporting this or by addressing this or allowing it to come to light, um, and then. You know what? We what do we have to do to clean the, up the mess? You know, do we have to pay somebody off? Do we have to settle with the kid? Uh, you know, what needs to be done? And that's that's the whole purpose of this all along. That's what that's that's what this uh, abuse line, that so-called mm -hmm. abuse line, seems to be focused on. Mm -hmm. The church's a uh, uh, legal. Uh, what do they call it? legal? Yeah. Um, you know what 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 could happen to the church it is not victim yeah. focused yeah it legal is, impact mm -hmm. yeah legal impact or or the legal mm -hmm. i'm not sure the exact word but it is focused yeah. on in, inwardly on the church instead mm -hmm. of outwardly on abuse on abuse victims yeah and that's what the ap story said so the church refuted that and said no that's not the way that it works well then what 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 is the ap story right. missing i don't understand <laughs> yeah, yeah and, th and that's just says we never find out what what it, how it's supposed to work uh, if the church says, well, that's not, that's not the way it is. Right. You guys have it wrong. Okay. Well, okay. let's say we have it wrong. Yeah. Let help us get it right. <laughs> right. Yeah. It yeah. stands to reason. Yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. You, you, you hit the nail on the head. Now yeah. we have a poll here. We want our listeners, mm -hmm. uh, 
uh, we have a website. It's called www.mormonnewsroundup.org. Or you can send us an email to kolob at mormonnewsroundup.org. That's K-O-L-O-B. And if you go over to Anchor, you can engage with us uh, on this particular article uh, over on Anchor. We have the Mormon News Roundup Poll of the Week which is available only on Anchor, and you, it talks about this article in particular. So um, listeners out there, how do you feel about the church deleting child sex abuse tweets without explanation? And there's several choices. Al, can you uh, read us number one? Yeah, number one. I ain't sweating it. Probably just Uchtdorf going rogue again. Yeah, Uchtdorf always going rogue, right? <laughs> yeah, he's, he's, uh, he's the one that seems to be out of step with the rest of them. <laughs> one of these things is not like the other. That's right. <laughs> and he's the only one uh, born in uh, Europe or Asia, I believe. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's or right. He's what, German. Is, yeah, what about number, or is it number two? Number two. I'm very upset. This clearly does not reflect the high level of transparency we have all come to expect from the church. Oh, yeah. When it comes to transparency in the church, those just go hand in hand, right, Al? That's right. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Or is it number three? Number three. Well, if the church can delete some embarrassing tweets, let's delete the Book of Abraham facsimiles while we're at it. Yeah, why not? Yeah, sure. Yeah, I mean, um, we deleted the, uh, the, the the Doctrine of Covenants used to be the doctrine was the lectures on faith and the covenants right. were the revelations. Yeah, we I just deleted the lectures on faith in 1920 because mm -hmm. we didn't want them anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so let's just do that with the, if we can do that with tweets and we can do it with the lectures on faith, let's just do it to the Book of Mormon facsimiles while we're at it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and the church had the Kinderhook plates uh, as well, which they thought were authentic. Once they figured out they were forgery, mm -hmm. they just deleted those puppies as well. So oh, yeah. the church has had no problem in deleting um, embarrassing things in the past. So, um, sure. yeah, no problem. Or is it number four? Uh, number four. This never would have happened if we had just let Sherry Dew become Relief Society General President. Hashtag Wendy's Best Gal Pal. Hashtag, that's a good hashtag, Al. <laughs> I do, Wendy's I like that one. Wendy's <laughs> Best Gal Pal. Uh -huh. ah, that's a nice hashtag. Sherry Dew, uh, was she first counselor or second counselor? I yeah, I think, she, uh, I think she was first counselor, if I remember right. But yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, yeah, the, the, uh, the, the what, most advanced uh, single woman that the church is ever allowed to advance that far. It was amazing. Yep. And this never would have happened if we just let her go all the way to the Relief Society president. Mm -hmm. Or is it number five? Number five. Those tweets are gone now because just like the sacred golden plates, Moroni asked for them back. Duh. Yeah. Oh, well, you know, there's a lot to be <laughs> said for that. Moroni seems to give things to people and then he just kind of takes them right back. He does. Moroni giveth and Moroni taketh away. Yeah. Well, yeah. blessed be the name of Moroni. But that is, as we've said, is a little too close to the word Mormon. So yeah. uh, let's just take it easy on Moroni. All right. All right we'll take it easy on Moroni. You know, he's getting fired from all of the temples anyway, you know. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. It, uh, he, and he got deleted from the church logo. Yeah. Been, um, yeah. Before uh, they did the, the rebranding of the logo. He, it was Moroni. Well, that's what happens, Al, when you don't live up to your covenants and wear the sacred garments day and night. Moroni and obvious, obviously, obviously never did wasn't. that. Yeah. No, he mm -hmm. wasn't. He's not a good spokesperson for that yeah. very reason. Or is it number six? Number six. The prophet <laughs> can never lead the church astray, unlike the half-witted intern running the church's Twitter account. Yeah, who is running the church's Twitter account anyway? That's what we all want to know. <laughs> uh, I, I would assume that it is Jesus, but does he delegate or... Uh, he seems to be a delegator. Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, so, he called disciples, right? I mean, somebody's yeah. got to be running it. I would call for that person to be fired, except for it's probably a church service missionary. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. And we, we would hate for them to stop paying their own money to do that job for the church. Yeah, absolutely. That would be unfair. Or is it yeah. number seven? Uh, number seven, those missing tweets are just like the missing Lamanites. Forget about it. Hashtag, <laughs> sorry, you're not a Lamanite. Hashtag, sorry, you're not a Lamanite. That's a good mm -hmm. hashtag, Al. It is. It really is. I like Yeah, all I mean, <laughs> you can't find those tweets anymore. Just forget about it. Mm -hmm. They're not coming back. You know, uh, so that's our Mormon News Roundup poll of the week there. Head on over to Anchor if you want to engage with us there. But I was thinking, Al, I know that everyone thinks that this uh, the sexual abuse scandal is the biggest scandal that the church has ever had. But I want to... Um, I want to kind of uh, riff on that a little bit in mm -hmm. a mostly serious manner. And okay. I think that there is a greater atrocity out there that's even worse than the child sex abuse, even worse, Al, than the Mountain Meadow Massacre or Kirtland mm -hmm. Safety Society, Missouri War, underage child brides, lack of charitable giving, anything else. Really? Yeah, I know. That, I, you think I covered it all, didn't I? This is going to be a big deal. I smell a tangent. Yeah, I mean, this. Uh, I'm not even talking about Paul Dunn. You know, yeah. I'm I'm referring, <laughs> I'm referring to the systematic annihilation of an entire race of people, the Lamanites. Oh, now, now uh, yeah. Uh, how long have the Lamanites been around, anyway, Al? Um, I, well, let's say uh, from the Book of Mormon times, roughly 2,500 years, going back to you know 600 BC ish. Yeah, uh, they have a. Is it safe to say they have a beautiful and rich tradition and history? I would, I would assume so. I mean, at least that's uh, what we get told all throughout the Book of Mormon. Yeah, I mean, we've told that over and over again. But I remember President Spencer W. Kimball said in the 1971 General Conference, quote, our Lamanite work has been going forward. The American Indians and others of the Lamanites, 60 million or more of them mm -hmm. in South and Central America and Mexico and the islands, they're accepting the gospel, end quote. So, Al, there, let me get this straight. There's 60 million Lamanites alive or more in 1971 wow. and where yeah. are they now uh, that's a that's a good question um, yeah i don't know yeah i uh, mean where are they uh well um you know, <laughs> up until a few years ago the church claimed that the lamanites were the primary ancestors of the native americans or the indigenous uh, you know peoples here in america yeah. um but dna has uh, since kind of pulled the plug on that one and said, no, these guys mostly came from Mongolia, their ancestry, and they haven't found a drop of uh, Middle Eastern blood in the Native Americans. So, um, just But that's only in the last couple of years. We knew there were 60 yeah. million Lamanites alive in 1971. Exactly. So some something happened between 1971 and now. Right. That's yeah. what, And that's what I'm wondering. So I hope the Strengthening Church Members Committee is listening to this next sentence because Al, it is the most important sentence I've ever uttered on this podcast. Okay. The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has systematically and ruthlessly hunted the Lamanites to near extinction. Hashtag Danite secret combinations. You know, uh, that's as good a theory as any other theory I've got. Because, I mean, 60 million in 1971, not a single one today. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, what, where did they go? Yeah, what, and what's so sad about this, Al, is that we were specifically warned about this in the Book of Mormon itself. Yeah. A book of scripture truly for our day. That's right. I mean, this is one of the greatest cover-ups in church or world history. We're talking about over 60 million mm -hmm. people vanishing without a trace. 
I mean, you remember that uh, that that flight that uh, disappeared? Uh, what, what was that flight? The Malaysian Ma- Airlines. Yeah, Malaysian Airlines Flight Three Seventy was a big uh, deal back in two thousand fourteen. Yeah, and it disappeared over the Southern Indian Ocean, right? That's right. Mm-hmm. I mean, that was just a couple hundred people, but they spent millions, tens of millions of dollars trying mm-hmm. to find them, right? Yeah, and never came up with anything. They're no, just gone. So, right. So, I mean, mm-hmm. where are the LDS church leaders? who should be looking for these lost remnants of the House of Israel. They're missing yeah. in action. The, the Book of Mormon commands us to bring the Book of Mormon to the Lamanites. Exactly. This isn't a couple hundred people on an airplane that went down. This is a 60 million people that were on the earth uh, or on the face of the earth back in 1971. And today they're gone. They're, yeah, they're nowhere I mean, to be found. Right. Uh, and some people I know, I can hear my listeners out there, some are uh, our, our listeners out there. Mm-hmm. They would say, OK, this is just some bizarre conspiracy theory. Not so. Mm-hmm. The church removed scores of Lamanite children straight off the reservations from 1954 to 1996. Right, Al? Yeah. And they were they were they referred to these children as Lamanites. Um, so you had a whole bunch of th- this was the um, let's see, Indian placement program. Right. Yeah. And uh they started up to say, well, we want to give these kids on the reservation, um, you know, a chance at a better education. And so they went and rounded up any kids that wanted to go to live with a white family in, you know, what uh, the rest of the United States, mostly between, say, Montana and Arizona, you know, the, during the throughout the Morador. Uh, <clears throat> so they... Uh, they uh, took the kids, placed them with families, and then you got these, you know, very wonderful priesthood holders are like, oh, my gosh, we've got a Lamanite living in our house. You know, oh, my heck. Where did, how, I never thought I'd ever live to see the day where we had a Lamanite living with us. You're right. a Lamanite. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, uh, we, we knew that there was lots of them during that 40 years of systematic removals, Right. There was. There was also uh, plenty of abuse uh, and uh, plenty of things happened there, but I don't need to get into that. Let's just keep this ball rolling. Yeah, I mean, but where are these Lamanites today? No one knows. No one knows who or where the Lamanites are. Hashtag smoking gun. They're not just missing. They're gone. They're erased from existence. Well, and we we know where a lot of the, the, uh, well, these kids, they grew up. We know where a lot of these kids are, but a lot of these kids, I mean, they're just... They're no longer Lamanites. They're uh, Navajo. They're Ute. They're you know uh, Shoshone Bannock. Uh, you know uh, these these kids. They're they're they belong to their uh, Native American tribe, but they no longer are Lamanites. Yeah, I mean, if you look this up on Fair Mormon, which has been renamed Fair LDS, it yeah. says that anyone could have wiped these Lamanites out, and there's no direct proof of church leader culpability. I get that. I get that. But the problem okay. is, who is the only group who knows who the Lamanites are? Yeah, I mean, that phrase didn't come from nowhere. It's not like uh, this phrase is what all the uh, Native Americans were calling themselves. Uh, this phrase um, was coined by Joseph Smith. Uh, he said that that's what they were called in the Book of Mormon from the record on the gold plates that he uh, translated. And so that's where we that's where we started calling uh, Native Americans Lamanites from. Within yeah, the so, so basically... The church is the only entity with the knowledge and the resources who could have done this, right? Absolutely. I mean, I, mean, I know it's it's chilling to ponder, but the mm-hmm. worst thing about this all is that absolutely no one is talking about this cover-up thanks to the spin from the church's PR mm-hmm. department. I mean, this is absolutely yeah. sick. Mm-hmm. For sure. Now, to all of our listeners out there, to every saint who can consider himself to be called a saint, 
If you want to help us get to the bottom of the church's genocidal annihilation of over 60 million Lamanites, I mean, we're talking men, mm -hmm. women, brothers and sisters, children, sons and daughters of God, head on over to Patreon or Anchor and make a donation, $5 a month, $10 a month, whatever you can afford. We can still find them. Yep. We can try to find whoever's left. And Al, uh, on behalf of my co-host, we pledge with everything that we hold sacred to hold whoever in the church is responsible for this atrocity to justice. Absolutely. Um, and I think in order for us to accomplish that, it's going to take at least $5 a month. Yeah, that sounds like about the right amount of number. Yeah. Uh, right, mm -hmm. right donation. Yeah. Absolutely. I think so. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Now, only with your support can we stop the madness. We need to get to the bottom of this outrageous genocide. If you look up the genocides in Wikipedia, this is the largest genocide that has ever happened now. That's right. No <laughs> one is talking about it. This is 10 times the size of the Jewish Holocaust in World War II that the Nazis. Yeah, it is. Committed. I mean, it goes, and it, yeah. it probably it goes all the way to the top. It, it yeah. may go all the way to the top. I don't know if it does or not. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we need those donations to figure this out. And I, yeah, I'm talking about Russell Marion Nelson Sr. It's about time that someone asked him, what did he know and when did he know it? His, his middle name's really Marion. Yes, I Russell Marion Nelson Sr. <laughs> I didn't nice, know that. Yeah, it does. <laughs> it's got a very nice ring to it. That's right. And, you know, it's... It doesn't look good since this is the guy that's all about uh, changing the names of stuff. So if he changed the names of the Lamanites to something else, the, the people need to know. That's a, yeah. that's a good point. That <laughs> mm -hmm. is a good point. Yeah, absolutely. Now, mm -hmm. uh, we uh, let's let's continue on. Uh, we had a uh, uh, let's we're going to wrap up on the uh, mm -hmm. uh, the uh, sexual abuse stuff. Yeah. Uh, there was a change.org petition that was just dropped this week by uh, Courtney Polos. And the title of it on change.org is make LDS clergy mandatory reporters. So in some states like Utah, members of the clergy are not required to report when someone confesses to abuse, even if the child sex abuse happens to a, a young child. Uh, mm -hmm. We got some really uh, strange laws out there uh, on the books. And this change petition says we need to stop that. Instead, clergy uh, need to be mandatory reporters, kind of like school teachers, mm -hmm. kind of like some of these counselors. Yeah. And also that we uh, are requesting to update the church's handbook that says that mm -hmm. every single instance of child abuse must be immediately reported to both local police and child protective services without regard to any state, national, uh, other reporting laws, and without consideration to whatsoever uh, to the perpetrator's desire or capacity to repent. How do you feel about this change.org petition now? You know, um, my knee-jerk response to this when it first came out is, um, in fact, I, 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 my knee-jerk response was, I think I signed my name to it because I thought, hey, this sounds really good on the surface. Mm -hmm. This just sounds like a really good step you know, protect the children, make all clergy mandatory reporters. As soon as we find out that there's abuse going on, make it mandatory that they have to report it to the police directly. Right. Um, but then we started looking into this a little bit uh, and doing some research. And we've, we've seen that there's other things that the church can do um, and also leave that those lines open uh, by keeping, like we can keep the priest penitent act uh, in, in effect. So that they can still, uh, people can confess sins, and uh, because of a penitent confession to a clergy member, they wouldn't have to have it reported to the police. But we can implement some better things that would uh, provide protection um, while also not closing it off. Because, I mean, the worst thing that we could do is, 
you know, make everybody scared to death to report their own abuse that they're perpetrating. Um, and then just have them never report it because then we, we don't ever find out about it until it's way too late. Um, but I do think that there are some measures that could be taken uh, by the church right now to make this a lot better situation. And they could still keep the, the priest uh, penitent privilege. Or, yeah. yeah. I mean, the, the church does not really necessarily have much ability to affect some states' local laws. Obviously, there's Utah and some other states locally in, in, a, in the Mount West, they have the ability to affect those laws. But they're not going to be able to affect laws in New York and California. Yeah, exactly. I mean, so so the states that have the pri- the penitent privilege, um, the, the, as you said, Al, if you remove that uh, the privilege of having someone who says I can go into my priest, confess something, and it'll be privileged, you won't have any reporters. There, the the guy who was in the the, the horrible sexual predator in this uh, article by the AP, yeah, he, he might not have ever gone in to see his bishop if he knew that he didn't have any confidentiality whatsoever. Well, exactly. I mean, he he obviously didn't walk into his local police department. Yeah. Which, if, if he want, if he was looking for justice, that's where he would have gone. But he didn't. He went to a priest, and or he went to a clergy member instead. Yeah, I mean, so people out there say, oh, you know, the the, the helpline is horrible, and everything needs to change. I mean, I'm asking these, I'm asking you, listeners, what do you want the bishops to do? Do you want your bishops to break the law? You're literally going to ask these bishops to break the law and to, I don't know, be fined or, or potentially jailed or have a criminal record for uh, a breaking the law. I, it's just not that simple as to say, oh, these bishops are horrible and the helpline is evil. There, there's a lot of laws on the books and um, the people need to follow the law. I mean, I don't know what else to say. Now, you can change. ask your congressman or senator or whomever to change the law if you think the law is bad. Mm-hmm. Sure. And, um, and that's what the change.org uh uh, petitions for is they're trying to get that law changed, right? So right. that that's one avenue, but that right. that can be very costly. It can be uh, very costly slow. for time as well. Yeah, yeah. slow, exactly. Yeah. And and that's why I've been thinking about it this week, and we talked this over as well. It, it, there, it seems to be a dichotomy. It says that okay, if you remove priest uh, pri- priest privilege, then people can't uh, won't be able to confess, and you won't be able to find the people at all. But if you keep it around, then nothing happens. So it's like a catch-22. There's no good solution. But yeah. I can tell you, I, I thought a little bit about this. And I, uh, Al, I, I've ta- maybe I've told you before, but I worked in uh, sexual assault prevention for a number of years. I worked full-time in sexual assault prevention for three years in the Midwest for the government. Okay. And I can tell you that I, I have a couple of ideas that could really help the church, regardless of what laws are on the books in their state, yeah. and could still keep priest privilege so we could have... Uh, help for the families and resources without changing the laws and still have people come in to talk to their bishops and say, I need some help. So that's the best of both worlds in my mind. And what I think I that's su- a great idea. Yeah. yeah what, what I suggest for the church is the following uh, recipe. Number one, you hire at the, at every stake level. And I wanted to say that there's like, what is there? 3,500 stakes? Something yeah, like that. I should need to like look that. that up. Somewhere around that. At the, every single stake level, the church hires a full-time mental health professional because these bishops, as you well know, Al, they are not equipped to handle these complicated sexual. Uh, no way. Uh, <laughs> these guys are not uh, given any training whatsoever when it comes to counseling. Um, right. Yeah. They, 
they get um, set apart and then, you know, they've got the general handbook of instruction that gives them some guidelines to follow. But uh, when it comes to, well, how do you handle a rape victim or how do you handle somebody that's uh, suffering abuse? Uh, you know, there, there's no training whatsoever. Right. So they're, they're barely equipped to handle, uh, you know, giving somebody uh, some light financial advice mm-hmm. or if a couple is not necessarily getting along, they're marginally mm-hmm. uh, qualified to uh, handle those type of uh, small situations. Yeah, sure. Okay. But for a serious sexual abuse, people with pedophilia, people who have serious issues, they're not equipped for that. So at the stake level, the church could hire uh, a full-time mental health professional so that the bishop could immediately call upon, you know, somebody comes in who's in a crisis, is suicidal, is having sexual uh, uh, sexual problems like uh, like this individual was a sexual deviant of some sort, could immediately refer that out. And we're not talking about LDS Social Services where you have to, you know, put your name on the record and LDS Social Services, that's not available everywhere. So you have at the stake level, the 4,000 stakes, hire a mental health professional, one for every single stake so that if uh, Paul Adams, who was the perpetrator in the AP case, as soon as he came in and talked to his bishop, the bishop could then refer him over to a mental health professional that could offer him more serious, high-level uh, uh, help, maybe even prescriptions or, or whatever else that that person needs yeah. to uh, reform their behavior. Exactly. Okay, that's step number one. Step number two, uh, this, the, at the same level, at the stake level, the church needs one full-time social worker for every single stake. So that not only you're you're sending them you're sending who the perpetrator to the mental health professional at the same time you're sending your social worker in typically for the wife and the children i know that's not the case for everything but typically it's for the wife and the children the social worker can go in and help that family uh while uh, while that mental health professional you're helping the victim you're helping the perpetrator you're trying to help everyone in here solve this yeah. issue mm-hmm. And then the third thing that the church needs to do or could do is build women's shelter, mostly women's shelter, but domestic violence and abuse shelters, rape shelters, those type of things. Yeah. And I would suggest doing one per mission. Now, the church has mm-hmm. 400 missions out there. Maybe sure. one per stake is probably too much, but one per mm-hmm. mission so that you're, you're sending Paul Adams in this case to the mental health professional who's uh, working for the church. You're yeah. sending in the social worker who's helping the family, and then you're moving that family to the shelter mm-hmm. uh, for a period of time while Paul Adams gets the proper treatment or help that he needs. Yeah. Or the other Paul Adams out there. It's a three level. Mm-hmm. Of, it's a three pronged approach, and yeah. that's what the government has done um, throughout the country, mm-hmm. and what a lot of people do, and it just works. Well, yeah, I mean, we, we have organizations like I, I believe CAPSA is uh, is one of the main uh, people that runs women's shelters across the, the, the country that, um, you know, handles people with uh, domestic uh, violence situations. Um, this is something the church is a huge real estate uh, module. They've got plenty of real estate. They've got plenty of properties. They've got plenty of uh, room to put up shelters. Uh, they've got plenty of money to put um, 4,000 uh, social workers or uh, health professional med- mental health care workers on its but- payroll. Um, and you know what? All of that stuff can be tax deductible. It's not like, you know, this is something that needs to be, uh, you know, well, this is going to cost the church. Well, you know, what's, what's the church there for then? Yeah, well, cause... this is going to cost the church. My rough <laughs> analysis of how much this would cost would put this in the realm of uh, 200 billion, uh, excuse me, uh, correction, $2 billion in capital and then about a billion dollars a year. Okay. Okay. Does the church have that kind of finances, uh, Al? Absolutely, it does. 
without question it does yep we've looked at this uh in the weeks past what the church's finances are looking like Uh, thank you very much to our friends over at the widow's mite because they're the, the reason we know this yep so the church doesn't need to wait for laws the church doesn't need to wait for anything they can move on making women safe on keeping priest pre- uh, pre- priest privilege around, making sure that the bishops are not being required to break the law, saving the children out of bad situations. The church can have it all. All mm-hmm. it takes is resources and yep. commitment. Yeah. The church has the resources. All we need yeah. is the commitment. That's right. And, you know, I'll take it even a step further. Go ahead and keep the the weird, um, you know, uh, hotline open so that uh, bishops can call any time of the day or night to get advice on, you know, the damage control for the church. Keep it. You know, you don't have to get rid of all that. This scandal can go away as soon as the church just does something with the commitment there. Yep. You've got the finances. Just do it. Open uh, and then the only other thing is open up the hotline for anybody so that any yeah. member can call the hotline mm-hmm. and report abuse and uh, get help for that kind of a situation. Don't just make it for bishops and stake presidents. Sure. Expand the hotline so that it can help the people who are really suffering. We shouldn't necessarily be helping the bish- bishops. Great. That's great. Help a bishop. Mm-hmm. That's great. But the people who need the most help are the people who are in abusive situations. Exactly. And, you know, let's not kid ourselves. We all know that these kids each have their, you know, little jars at home uh, where they're dividing up every dime into 10 pennies and then every Sunday handing an envelope to the bishop with their pennies that they're saving uh, for tithing. So, I mean, these kids are paying for it themselves. Uh, Yeah, and this goes directly into our Mormon News Roundup question of the week, which you'll see over on Anchor. And speaking of that tithing, Al, you were talking mm-hmm. about kids saving up for tithing. The Church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has made some changes to its tithing, hasn't it? Yep. One of the big uh, topics of the week. This one, I even got my mother-in-law to uh, chime in to me and say, hey, have you looked at this one? Says, As a matter of fact, we will be discussing this one on the show. So I'd like to thank my mother-in-law for pointing that out. Very she nice. Is, she, she is a listener. So, yeah, thank you very much there. <laughs> hey, uh, this, great. Yeah, this one goes to ksltv.com and... Um, you know, this is uh, this is really something. So, um, August 11, 2022, Eliza Pace uh, posted, The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints makes changes to tithing settlement. And, um, you know, you, you need to go to the show notes and uh, pull up this article because the picture on there is just priceless. you got the whole family in there, and they're all in, uh, you know, the bishop's office for this tithing uh what's now going to be known as a tithing declaration, uh, no longer to be known as tithing settlement, because like we, we know, uh, you know, President Nelson is very big on changing names. So now it's not going to be about settlement. It's now going to be about declaration. And he's also extended the time frame so that you don't have to go in, uh, you know, between during the holiday the holiday season at the end of the year um you know so you've had a lot of ward clerks and bishoprics trying frantically to get everybody uh between say you know november or halloween all the way up to new year's day and it, it was really you know run them ragged trying to get that all settled or uh, figured out getting everybody's uh, tithing status declared uh before the end of the year so they've extended it so it goes as early as September 1st. So the beginning of next month, they will start uh, having families come in and declare their tithing status. 
Oh, very nice, very nice. Now, uh, I saw somebody tweeted out that there was a, uh, there's a uh, Twitter account out there called Fake LDS Newsroom. So you can uh-huh. follow them at, at Fake LDS Newsroom, and they just have a, a hilarious take on everything, a satirical <laughs> uh, tweets. And they said that there was a number of tithing uh, declaration ideas that were left on the cutting room floor. And I want to run these by you, Al, and see which one you think um, has okay. the best sound to it. Uh, tithing attestation, tithing mm. relinquish. Tithing surrender, tithing confession, tithing shakedown. Oh, I like that. (laughs) Tithing submission, Uh tithing plunder, tithing, uh, or or what about tithing theft Uh or uh, tithing demand, tithing Mm -hmm. oppression, tithing pressure, tithing racket, tithing squeeze, or tithing (laughs) swindle? (laughs) The squeeze, I like that one. Which, uh, you know, declaration that has not had the best sound to it. Which one of those do you like? Uh, Um, I'm a big fan of the ones that uh, involve the bishop wearing some sort of a costume. So there's like the tithing plunder where he's wearing a a pirate hat during um, during uh, bishop settlement or during tithing settlement. Um, The other one that I really like is the tithing shakedown. Yeah, yeah I, I like the shakedown. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of like tithing shakedown. Mm-hmm. I, I think that has a nice ring to it. But you brought up why you thought that the church actually moved away from a tithing settlement. And why did you think that they actually did that out? You know, I think that the church doesn't want to be uh, associating the term settlement, especially going forward, since it seems like there's the church is getting into some hot water, having to pay out a lot of settlements uh, legally. So I don't think that they want tithing settlement to be viewed as, hey, uh, th- this is the church, um, <laughs> you know, funding its uh, tithing or, or its uh, settlements in the law by uh, getting people to pay their tithing. So, yeah, and, the, and that's a great point. Also, the word settlement in se- itself kind of seems like there was a disagreement and it was like yeah, a compromise. Exactly. So I, I think that that's probably what they're doing is they're just trying to reword this so that it's... Um, that sounds more like, oh, these are people that are paying their tithing of their own free will and accord. <laughs> Absolutely. <Yeah. laughs> and no trendy tithing, right, Al? We That's covered right. that. No trendy tithing. Yeah. No, trendy tithing does not count, correct? That's right. Mm-hmm. Okay, so, got it. All right, no problem. Now, yep. uh, we got a couple last articles here to get through, and uh, uh, they're all mostly revolving around a big shocker, President Nelson. So yeah. uh, from LDSliving.com, uh, <laughs> we have a... Uh, Tad Welch uh, on the, an article on August 5th, uh, from the, which was brought over from the church news, President Nelson rededicates the Washington Temple. Mm-hmm. And this is after four and a half years of renovations, one of the longest renovations of any temple ever. Yeah. You know, and this renovation, as we've mentioned before, uh, the amount of workers and the amount of money that they poured into this, it must have been at least a half a million dollars per month. For oh, wow. all of those four years. I mean, we're talking about a multi-million dollar renovation here. Oh, uh, yeah. Now, if you actually That's look huge. out at the first dedication that happened to the D.C. Temple in 1974, the church released a church-produced video, which actually they said how much that the DC, how much they claimed that the D.C. Temple cost to make. Oh, my interest and, is peaked. <laughs> yeah. Now, they said that the, church, that the D.C. Temple cost $15 million back in 1974. Really? Yeah, but I'll bet you that the renovation alone costs uh-huh. more than fifteen million just for the renovation that lasted Guaranteed for almost five it. years. Yeah, absolutely, it costs more to re- to renovate it than it did to build it. That's that's shocking. 
Yeah. Yeah. That is assuming that the $15 million uh, number is accurate. Mm -hmm. I would not be surprised at all if mm -hmm. that was a bit of a low ball number, oh, yeah. Al. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But it's... then again, this is also back in uh, what, uh, the 60s? Not, 1974. Oh, 74. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah it, it could be fifteen million in nineteen seventy four dollars. Um, yeah, that'd be worth what about? Uh, certainly not fifteen million by today. <laughs> no, not by today. Now, uh, President Nelson he rededicated it in three sessions. So, and the entire mm -hmm. first presidency of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints was at this dedication. That is really? that is unprecedented. Now, no, yeah, that's that's really something. So this was this is probably the church's um, most important temple. Um, probably even more important uh, to the church than the Salt Lake Temple. It's got to be one, number one and number two. Yeah. Without question. For sure. So President Nelson dedicated the, did the initial dedication uh, on Sunday at, uh, I believe it was at 930. And then President Oaks reread the same prayer for the second session, which I think was at one. And then President Eyring did the same prayer again at five o'clock p.m. Now, the tickets to get to the tickets themselves, it was very difficult to get tickets mm -hmm. to the actual temple. So they did it. Um, at the local chapel level over mm -hmm. the airways, but you still needed the temple recommend to get into those chapels because that mm -hmm. is still considered a dedication. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Now, I, what I also found interesting was uh, Susan Bednar's husband was missing in action for this entire oh. uh, situation. Your your favorite apostle, David Bednar. Yes. Where, I wonder where he was. Yeah, I wonder where he was. He does get around a lot. I mean, yeah. he is... He is probably, uh, and this is all anecdotal because the church has not released the apostles' uh, travel itineraries and schedules, but it just really seems like uh, Elder Bednar really, really gets around at the local and the stake level because the amount of yeah. videos that are released, mm -hmm. recordings, he's got to be one of the most active uh, apostles out there. Oh, shoot. He's, he's still the youngest, isn't he? Yeah. So yeah. I imagine they're just using the crap out of him. Yeah, <laughs> without question. Now, now the reason I say he's missing in action was because he was out here for the, uh, as soon as for the tours. Yeah. He gave the most high profile media tours through the temple, the various high profile. And then he also mm -hmm. stuck around at the National Press Club briefing a short time later. So he was very much involved with this uh, temple rededication but he didn't get the nod for the actual uh, ceremony itself. Yeah, for sure. Now, President Nelson, his last time that he dedicated a temple was way back in 2019 in the Rome-Italy mm -hmm. temple. And there's been 11 temple dedications in between then and now. Mm -hmm. And President Uchtdorf, oh, excuse me, not President, but Dieter Uchtdorf has been getting most of the nods mm -hmm. for the temple uh, uh, dedications. Oh, really? So yeah. they've, they've got him uh, running around dedicating the temples. Okay. Yeah, they've, they've got him doing it. And President Nelson now, he's the longest living apostle, right, in Latter-day Saints history right now yes he is that's our next uh one is we've got uh, president nelson is uh beaten out um his predecessor david b hate for the longest reigning apostle so david b hate he passed away in 2004 and he was uh 97 at the time and um elder or sorry president nelson will be 98 next month uh september 9th and now as of earlier this week uh he passed up um, David B. Hate, because uh, I mean, month to month or day to day, that's uh, how, you know, he's got more days uh, being ordained as an apostle. I believe uh, David Hate was ordained back in the 50s. And uh, so we've got, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, Russell and Nelson uh, being ordained in the 60s. Yeah, he's been in, he's been in church leadership a long time as an apostle. 
He sure has. And as Stephen Pinecker of the Mormon Book Reviews would say, that's some good word of wisdom living right there. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, there's a couple of people who are really upset about this article and it kind of surprised mm -hmm. me, Al. And I, I mean, I can't really it's imagine a... why. Okay. And three people in particular, three famous Mormons mm -hmm. were extremely upset about this article, which yeah. um, actually now that I think about it, I kind of realize why they are upset. And those three people in particular are the three Nephites. Oh, the three Nephites. <laughs> yeah, what, what happened? What? Have you been picking up hitchhikers and they told you, is that how you found out? <laughs> well, you know, they. Uh, if you read the Reddit sub forums, I'm telling you, these mm -hmm. three Nephites, they pop up in the darndest locations. Al. Yes, they do. They these The three Nephites, and it seems like they're always hitchhiking. Yeah, um, I mean. The, they like hospitals and they love hitchhiking. <laughs> you know, they're kind of <laughs> like the Amish. I mean, they can't buy a vehicle, but they're not afraid to ride around in one. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and they are absolutely furious. This is according mm -hmm. to legendary. T this is this is unconfirmed, right? This mm -hmm. is legendary sources. Yeah, they are absolutely pissed off because hey, they've been serving as apostles now for what two thousand mm -hmm. uh, two oh, yeah. know, almost two thousand years. About two thousand years, really? Yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah, I mean, and John the uh, John the uh, apostle, the beloved. Yeah. He he's also not thrilled about this. So I mean, yeah, I, I don't I don't know because he's say. supposed to still be around too, and he's he's one of the original apostles. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So, so I don't know that. Yeah, I can understand why these guys are upset. If yeah. any of our uh, listeners out there, please you know, be safe. Don't pick up hitchhikers. But if you happen to pick up a hitchhiker that's one of the three Nephites, ask them how they feel about that. Yeah, and while you're at it, come on over to Facebook and uh, drop mm -hmm. us a like, drop us a subscription, or we're at, we're on Twitter at, at @newsmormon on Twitter, and we also upload these onto YouTube. Come over, drop us a like, drop us a subscription, let us know your thoughts about whether the three Nephites are right to be upset. Yeah. And that does bring us to our final article, which is uh, the new church historian and recorder, Elder Kyle S. McKay. Uh, and he has been appointed as the new church, uh, the new church's new historian. And this is an article uh, dated 13 August 2022 by Christine Rapley. Uh, and so we have a new church historian and uh, a big shocker to you. I'll guess what? He's not a historian. Oh, he's not. No. <laughs> no, I know that what comes is to What's his profession? Yeah, I, I'll give you two guesses there. It seems like everyone in the uh, upper ranks of the oh. church is either a businessman or a lawyer. Uh, I was going to guess he was an artist, but um, yeah, he, I'm, I'm guessing he's a lawyer, right? You're going to guess that he was a yeah. cafeteria lunch worker prior to his appointment? That's a possibility. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Or maybe a construction flagger. Yeah, construction flagger. That's one. Yeah, I want to see. yeah, or construction flagger. Or maybe he was a uh, busboy at a uh, at a uh, spaghetti factory. Yeah. No, and those people, for some reason, Alan cannot figure it out. They never quite seem to get called into these high positions. It's just a, even other kinds of like professions. I mean, like uh, you know, uh, they've got what is it? A ATK Thiokol that's, you know, up there in Northern Utah where they build yeah. the rockets. Yeah. We've got rocket scientists in Utah. How come we don't ever get rocket scientists in, you know, church leadership or these uh, positions or, or yeah. Why, why don't we have a rocket scientist be the historian? Well, you know, I, I call me uh, old fashioned here, Al. And okay. I, I told you I was an academic. I taught at BYU for a number of years. Yes, you were. And if you're going to have somebody who's in charge of an entire department, if it's the physics department, the head is virtually ninety nine percent of the time is a is a uh, sorry is a physics how do you say that a 
Physicist? Yes. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> okay. Yeah, as a physicist, a, a mathematics department, he's a mathematician. If yeah. you have a history department, you it's have a historian. historian. Yeah. You know, I mean, if you think Good back point. and look at all of the church mm-hmm. historians over the years, only Leonard Arrington was a real historian. Mm-hmm. You know, oh, uh, he, he was a good historian, too. Yes, he was. And that's why he was fired. Yeah. And demoted <laughs> and mm-hmm. pushed it back down to BYU. Yeah, it happened. Yeah. And so here's from the article. He said uh, he says in the article here, Elder McKay here says, quote, I'm called the church historian. But in truth, the real historians are the people I work with. End quote. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You don't say. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you. Yeah. Well, there's a reason why we have a lawyer there. It's, it's his position is purely for damage control. <laughs> yeah, and he also has a very uh, interesting uh, take on what his purpose is. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says that quote: "Since learning of this assignment, I have felt drawn to the rising generations and to protect them and build their faith." What do you hear when when, when, when you hear that, Al? What do you think of? That sounds icky the way the way you said that. Well, what, sounds, what do you mean? Well, what it sounds like to me is that oh, we'd rather you know protect the kids from the truth, and only give them the information that's going to uh, be faith promoting. Yeah. yeah, the old faith promoting narrative here. These these kids can't handle the truth. Not like our listeners. Our our listeners are grown ups. They can handle you know whatever the good, the bad, and the ugly of the church. Um, and that's why we that's why we reach out to all you guys. And uh, that's why we do this podcast because you're all adults. Um, the rising generation, you know. Kids can handle the truth. I mean, there's there's certainly debates about, oh, do you tell kids about Santa Claus or not? But, uh, you know, when we're, we're not talking about kids that are, you know, young and, uh, like, real little. We're talking about teenagers. That's the, the rising generations that they're talking about. And these ones, uh, you do a lot better when you're straightforward with them, when you're honest with them, than if you're trying to pull the wool over their eyes. And they'll sniff it out. You know, kids are not stupid. Yeah. In fact, he says in the article, quote, I believe that church history has the capacity to strengthen faith and ought to be used for that purpose, end quote. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that is the purpose of everything in the church. Absolutely everything is to Mm -hmm. strengthen faith. The church history department, in my mind, the purpose of the church history department would be to share church history. Yeah. Make it available. <laughs> it doesn't have an ulterior motive. Uh, History exactly. in and of itself is valuable. If you go back and look at Doctrine and Covenants, I believe it is section uh, 47, uh, says that uh, John Whitmore was called to serve as the first uh, church historian. And it gives uh, Doctrine and Covenants section 69 gives instructions. Everything doesn't have to be faith promoting, you know? Yeah, for sure. It can you just know. exist in and of itself. That's just, yeah. you know, and, and- I. I and the historian, this whole purpose is to preserve the records of what uh, our history is and what our heritage is. If you start messing around too much with that, then all of a sudden it's no longer the truth. Exactly. I mean, yeah. so we, we, we want to be able to read the stories that are not flattering Yeah. We, because that's our history. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and if the, the purpose of the history department is only to promote faith promoting stories, then we don't get the whole complete picture. Exactly. If you really, if all you care about is whether Dieter Urkdorf went and played golf this this weekend, uh, there's other places they'll tell you that, but that's not what we're about. 
No. Um, I think that wraps it up for us on the news. Now, next week, Al, we got an exciting guest on the, uh, hopefully his computer doesn't crash and hopefully mm -hmm. he's here, but it's <laughs> Dr. John Turner. He's going to be on the program next week and he writes, teaches, and speaks about the place of religion in American history. He's mm -hmm. a professor of religious studies at George Mason University in Fairfax, Virginia, and he has special interest in uh, the world of Mormonism and has written a number of books on the subject. Should be a Excellent. very exciting guest. Yeah, we're really excited to have him on next week. And uh, for Radio Free Mormon, uh, we wish you all the best. I'm sorry that it didn't work out this week. Um, you know, a lot of the, the jabs that we threw out there today, were uh, they're all in good fun. And uh, we do look forward to having him on in the future when uh, there's a better time. So in the meantime, thank you very much to Weird Alma for allowing us to use his music for the intro and the outro to our podcast. Um, he's certainly blessed us with his work. And I think that's a good point uh, or a good point for us to jump off him to in his um hit from Straight Outta Titles with Straight Outta in the title. When it comes to nicknames of the church, such as LDS Church, Mormon Church, to remove the Lord's name from the Lord's Church is a major victory for Satan. 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 Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a being with no moral constraints. My number one goal is to hurt the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. 